Hey, so listen, thank you, Leo, for, I guess, being here in person That's after good. lockdown and um, having a conversation with me. Uh, you've come on board with the um, In Between Is Checkup podcast. We've been talking about different struggles that a lot of people have been facing out there. Um, and I guess I've been listening to yourself uh, more recently in terms of the messages that you've been putting out there and, and it's really resonated with me and I thought it would great, be great to have you um, on board and give you an opportunity to maybe share that message a, a little bit further. I think back, Jesus, a few years back now, um, but when I first uh, became aware of you, it was all about the music. Um, and I guess we, we share a love of bass, <laughs> um, but I've, I've had an opportunity to, I guess, learn a little bit more about you besides the, the DJ and such and realize that there's, um, I guess a real desire to do more than just entertain people for a, for a brief period, shall we say, and that you've really got this, I'm not sure how to describe it, just a passion for life and, and helping people and, and I guess helping the world, whatever that might look like um, at this time. And look, there's, there's a lot of crap going on at the moment and people can focus on the negative and they can focus on the positive but um, I'm, I'm hoping that, that your message can, can shine a little bit of light on people for when they may be struggling at this time so um, I hand it over to you and you can tell everyone a little bit more about yourself okay yeah um, the, the the message um, sort of changes and evolves over time um, but the the idea that um, of, of essentially dissatisfaction, really, like not quite um, stoked with the world that we got handed, and if there was some sort of mission, would be to kind of leave it in better shape than we found it. Um, and well, of course, I yeah, you know, I so I graduated from university right in the middle of the global financial crisis, and. Um, I had this degree, um, which basically kind of more or less taught me just kind of like how screwed up the world is mm -hmm. and with no really any empowering kind of pathway to fixing it. Yeah. Um, which is a funny thing to have a student loan for. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, like with the music, it was really great. So for 10 years, I kind of partied professionally and that was great. Like it paid the bills. Um, but it freed up my days mm. to, to essentially sort of journey school myself and find solutions. Um, many of which sort of fit under this umbrella of permaculture. Yes. And so after a while of um, traveling, you know, playing music and, and, and having a great time, but um, I sort of, I'd been around the world and I played kind of like in, a lot of really amazing places and festivals and sort of wind up back here in New Zealand with the this kind of suspicion mm -hmm. that it wasn't what a place could do for me but what I could do for a place yes. and um, here in Tauranga you know we've got like the, this is like the retirement village of New Zealand yeah. and um, it, it, it really really did need me you know and I've been working hard to kind of um, influence the city 
towards something a little bit more progressive. Um, and it is a little bit, it's, it's kind of what I can feel the traction. Yeah. Um, not to say it's all me, but that's like a movement that I'm start, I feel like we're starting to see nationwide as well mm. is um, people starting to, to care a little bit more yeah. and um, sort of participate yeah. in, in, in the world and in, in our communities and in our society and also within our ecology there are I suppose just like I mean even though the lockdown was really interesting and the thing that people were most sort of missing or angry about was that they couldn't go fishing or surfing or or, or walking in the bush yes. and I, I actually took a lot of pleasure in that yeah. that's what people were missing okay. um, because that's what really meant something to them or it yeah. just made people wake up to the, the world as they were living in it? I believe that many of the issues that we are facing come as a, as a, as a result of a disconnection from nature mm -hmm. and from each other and from ourselves. And when we're close with nature, yeah we're able to heal those, a lot of those disconnections. Yeah. Um, obviously the one with nature, but also with ourselves. Yeah. Um, just that kind of, that peace of and quiet and that sense of belonging. Yeah. Um, a lot of our kind of early psychological fears come from um, our fear of, of not belonging mm. and the, the, the sort of lack of safety that comes with that. And so, if we can reconnect people with nature, yes. then they can have, it really can reconnects them on this level of identity, yeah. which is kind of the thing that we're missing mainly in our culture of mm -hmm. sort of separation and division across class and race and gender. Yeah. Is, that's what's keeping us apart. And yeah. it's the othering yeah. of other. So, so coming back, to New Zealand, mm. I guess, was there a, a desire for more of that belonging? Were, was there a, a sense that maybe things were a little bit unclear in terms of where you fit or how connected you were with nature? Mm. I think um, with someone who had the level of privilege that I did have and had music as a way to access kind of anywhere in the world, mm -hmm. my identity had really kind of expanded into this kind of global citizen. Right. Um, and so, but there's not only so long you can kind of keep that up mm -hmm. because um, the desire of course is to like put your roots down yes. and, and kind of, and have a little bit more familiarity on, in your day to day. Yeah. I mean, I have met people that would like to keep traveling their whole lives, but generally there's, there comes a point where you really kind of just want to like have a garden and, and, and that's a metaphor for a number of any things, you yeah. know? Yeah. And um, so, but for me that your question is still very relevant because it's, it's actually more relevant to me now than it was then. Mm. Um, as I have got a real sense of place-based identity yeah. here in, in Aotearoa and especially in Mount Maunganui, a line of inquiry I've been taking is, uh, as I as I discover Tao Māori, the world of Māori, and learning the real, uh, is that I'm not 
tangata whenua to to here mm. but i'm tangata whenua to somewhere yes where is it okay. and so i've been um i've been kind of like really researching like sort of uh scandinavian okay. like spirituality yeah. and like celtic spirituality and like the relationship that my ancestors had to their lands wow. and they're strikingly similar mm-hmm. worldviews to 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 maturanga maori the wisdom of the maori people and um it's really really helping me develop that sense of place yeah here and when i go to the marae i actually hold myself differently because yeah. i know who i am in their eyes yes and like I suppose as someone who has, I felt like I, I did know myself and I had known myself for a long time because my, my living and my life is very much aligned in my purpose. Mm. I wasn't really like feeling too lost in that sense. But when you move into indigenous communities, your, your identity is so tied up in your whakapapa, your ancestry. Yeah. And so I realized that, um, to to the kuya or the komatu or someone in that community i didn't know myself yeah. and hey to a certain degree they were they were right yeah. and so yeah i have been on this really path of rediscovering um who i who i am in terms of my ancestors and then that helps me kind of um be more me yes and yes. It's, I think that's that authenticity that informs my work that attracts people to it. Okay. Um, people crave genuine action. Yes. Because we're all qu- quite acutely aware of all the problems in the world and they can be really overwhelming and we sort of, everyone wants to do a thing. They, we all want to do something about it. Um, but it's like this, what? Yeah. And with just so much kind of misinformation in the world and we're, our kind of bullshit radars are still developing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I, I don't even watch the news these mm. days, to be honest, because I don't feel like it informs me as to what's really happening out in the world. <laughs> I just feel like it's, it's telling a, excuse me, a particular story that they want to feed me at, at that time. Yeah. Um, I mean, for myself, uh, I'm, I'm half Croatian. Uh, I've never been to Croatia. I, I had planned to be there right now, actually, until, until lockdown kicked in. And, and I thought, you know, this is an opportunity to kind of get a little bit more in touch um, with my ancestral roots and, and, I guess, understand a little bit more about myself in the process. Um, I'm like 116th Maori. Um, but, again, that's something that I haven't really exposed myself to um, in, in any way, shape or form. In fact, my wife, who's from overseas, probably has a better grasp of the Maori language than I have because she's in the, in the education space. And like I, I think that in part is just about how New Zealand's come over the last sort of 20, 30 years in terms of the schooling and the fact that it's playing more and more of a part in our national identity, I guess. Mm. Because um, at the end of the day, uh, Maori only exists in New Zealand, and it's important that we um, embrace them. I mean, it's really it's important that we embrace everyone, regardless of, of what race. But I, I feel that 
uh, particularly in New Zealand, I guess, mm. because they don't exist elsewhere. Mm. Yeah, and it's that level of uh, national identity that is formed from the personal identity and you don't, like, I wouldn't want people to take away that, like, if they're not connected to their ancestors, then they'll never find out who they are. Yeah. Um, indeed, in New Zealand, I think it's actually a very common pattern for people's grandfathers or great-grandfathers or the, their, their more uh, immediate ancestors to have almost kind of shut out that old world mm. and not kept the stories going because, like, the Industrial Revolution and, like, Europe, especially in that time, that would have been a that would have been a really stinked place to be if you weren't part of that aristocracy or those higher echelons of society in that mercantile class. And it's I don't I don't really blame my ancestors for not keeping the the lineage. Yeah. Um and so I do feel quite disconnected directly. Yeah. But indirectly there are aspects of I think it's important to take into account that many of those countries were colonized as well. Mm -hmm. So acknowledging that they had been colonized and then trying to reconnect with that pre-colonial existence yeah. on the on that land yeah. is potentially how we will reconnect with the pre-colonial existence on this land. Yes. And through that process, we are able to decolonize our minds, mm -hmm. ourselves, our communities, and then our country as well. Yeah. And it's really this process of colonization that people don't quite take into account when they um when they see like disproportionate amount of maori and pacific islanders represented in our prisons or our healthcare and things like that there's it's one thing that i suppose i've learned is that we as humans as we form in the world we are only ever acting from the totality of our experience. Yeah. And so if you're only drawing on um, a, a, a essentially um, a community, a family, um, your, that is inherently has prejudice against you, mm -hmm. then it's, we're playing, we're just playing out trauma yeah. that has been um, stored at the, in our psyche over generations. And so, I mean, it's really timely now. We've got, we've just come out of COVID-19 and like America is freaking out mm -hmm. because this big systemic um, racist uh, prejudice has been revealed and it's, um, and it's policing. Yeah. And here we are in New Zealand where the same systemic racism exists just not to that degree mm. i suppose it's just not magnified by the fact that people carry firearms yeah um and that's a really i'm, I'm pretty glad about yeah, that too. um but there's a lot of work to be done in terms of um, familiarizing people with their privilege yeah especially pakia um so yeah the, the people with Pākehā means um, other, okay, and so people that weren't here yeah. who have come here. Yeah. Um, so that's actually not like a derogatory um, term. term. Mm. It's just like someone who has come here and fundamentally, like on a 
on a kind of like a state legal level. Pākehā, myself included, and my family are here because of a treaty that was signed with the first people of this land. And that treaty is actually a really reasonable contract. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I, I, I truly, like I, I was in Wellington, I was in the National Library and I was reading it and I was going, this is like, this is actually a beautiful vision. Yeah. This is a beautiful vision for a relationship between two people. And um, the, the, the obvious problem is that it just was, was, was not honored. Mm-hmm. And it was, that contract was, was broken. Um, <laughs> so many times and it is still broken to this day. So there seems to be like this kind of um, really interesting nexus between this people who, for myself, who mainly operate in an ecological advocacy sense. Yeah. But then there's all these people who are more focusing on social justice. Yes. The, the, the Treaty of Waitangi really, um, actually, if we were to honour that, would provide a lot of answers to some very burning questions yeah. in both of those camps. Okay. Um, not to polarise them, but there are aspects of, of the way Māori live their life and are seeking to live their life through mm. the treaty that would address our ecological issues yeah. and our social issues. Yeah. So... I mean, we touched on sort of the, the cultural piece and the fact that I'm not that in touch with my culture. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I think that has a lot to do with the way that my family dynamic exists so that I haven't necessarily... I don't want to say have that opportunity because it sounds like I'm, I'm shifting the blame, but that there hasn't necessarily been um, a dynamic that mm-hmm. has allowed for that to simply happen. And when I look at sort of a lot of Māori or Pacific... Um, families that family plays such a key role mm. in that dynamic and that support structure and that network mm. um i mean we come to tauranga uh, just myself and my wife and had a child and, you know they say it takes a village to raise a child and when you have that family around you and, and they may be but they might not be it just it makes such a difference and you take the family and then you expand it to the community and then it's the the larger and then you can like it just mm. if you take if you have those underlying principles within a group of people then there's harmony mm. um as soon as it becomes individualistic or egotistical and it's like divide and conquer and and everyone just bangs up against it and, and nothing really happens right? mm. um, and i kind of feel in some respects that what we're seeing in the world at the moment on a large scale comes down to a very uh, individual mindset about the way we interact in the world and it's just magnified by the number of people that exist in it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And the the Māori culture has so much in there for us. Like one of the kind of key tenets is this idea of kotahitanga, which is kind of solidarity and unity and oneness and that as, as soon as we work together mm. we're able to achieve so much yes. and um but you really like revealed something there which it's kind of it's, it's more or less the basis of our whole economic system really is that we are 
all competing for the same scarce resources. Mm. Whereas nature is actually the opposite of scarce and has so much to give. And there's plenty to go around. It's just not going around because of this, this scarcity mindset that sort of positions us in competition with each other. And that's kind of, that's the, as soon as those groups is that sort of that community fabric gets woven that we're able to um, move into a place of mutual benefit. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's something that I feel like there's a lot of clues, a lot of breadcrumbs to pick up and follow into the world of Māori so that we can do that. Um, So I guess more locally, are you aware of groups that give people that opportunity to to kind of come together and and connect on that level or, or, or some level that maybe those out there thinking kind of you know i'm just me what what on earth can i do Mm. um have an opportunity to come together with others of a similar or or such like that could together on mass make an impact yeah that's a great question and um i i'm wary of answering it in terms of me and my preferences because at this point it's also really important to celebrate our diversity and the resilience that we get from the diversity as well Mm. um but really like it's like whatever passion that you have um generally if it if it if it moves in the direction of creating more life then it's a good it's it's generally like a a fairly healthy and constructive passion to have Mm -hmm. if it moves in the direction away from life then it's possibly something that we need to look at and um and figure out whether or not it's something worth continuing but um i mean i've i've i have dabbled in so many different communities over my time and i just you know that there's there's always someone else out there who who knows something more or less than you mm. and so we there is always an opportunity to either be the teacher or the learner yeah. and it's important to be both yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i think even as a, as a parent you know over the last couple of years i've learned so much from my child mm. and how to respond to the world because they haven't been uh, they haven't been exposed to the negative things that I have taken on board and held on to, right. and they just live each day as, as it comes to them. And I think you know, if we could, could all do that without all the baggage and mm. stuff, how much freer we would be and yeah. how much more would actually happen for the, for the good of all mankind. Um, like you touch on, I guess, that, that disconnect with nature. Mm. And like but this morning, you know, me, I, I got up, um, and went up the mount and went for a swim and just you know I felt alive I felt I felt connected um, and I, I think you know it'd be great if I could do this every day and while I can't necessarily do that every day I think it's important for people to find those ways of, of grounding themselves um, of not necessarily exposing themselves to the elements but just really being in nature mm. um, and I feel in society we can get so caught up in the busyness of life that mm. those opportunities don't seem to be so frequent. Yeah. Um, but for, for yourself, um, I guess what what is it 
how do you see, um, and like, I guess this is obviously what you do and it might not necessarily work for, for others, but how, how do you help to connect with, with your own nature and the nature around you? Mm. Yeah, for me, um, I feel safe whenever I'm around uh, like a healthy ecosystem yeah. or a healthy socio-system. Mm. Like if I'm around um, like kind people or um, yeah, like a happy crowd yeah. at like a music event or a festival or something, I just feel so comfortable in my humanity mm. and the same goes for when i'm like walking in like a national park or um say i'm like yes yeah, snorkeling and there's a lot of fish around or something that that to me is um that really grounds me in, into a level of like it, it pulls me away from all of the latent sort of fear or that sort of noise of that drone of anxiety that i have about climate change or ecological destruction if I can see a healthy ecosystem, mm. then I'm, um, like I say, I'm, I'm feeling like really solid within myself. And so what I tend to do to connect when I'm there is, is move into a place of, of gratitude. Yeah. And if I'm around something that is just so beautiful and healthy, then that, that really is a gift. Yeah. And that's really like the only thing that that's our only responsibility that nature asks for Mm. all of her gifts is our attention yes like be there pay attention and and then if you like what you see express gratitude Mm. and then if i like if i see a beautiful sunset and i like blow it a kiss or something then that feels so good that my gratitude generally as expressed in other ways tomorrow and the next day. Um, And then, so if I see that beautiful sunset and I go, wow, check this world out. If if I'm at a, at a, at a waterfall and it's just gorgeous and I, and and I like all of the kind of that New Zealand bush, the way that, the way that it, it lands in my eyes, I, that marvel and that magic often, um, sort of stimulates a, a sense of care and responsibility that goes beyond just gratitude to, mm-hmm. to acting mm-hmm. with that gratitude. And that action is often like being a, being a good, like a participant in life yeah. and in nature and moving from this kind of um, sort of pattern where people consider nature to be this this other thing or this kind of grow medium that we can kind of dig up or and sell to each other um into a partnership um and so yeah when i when i'm in my garden and i'm kind of like growing this food i'm really just working in partnership with nature Mm. and and giving back really. Yeah. So yeah, you know, in my work I I I just waste and I turn it into soil. Yes. And I'm really, really stoked that like past me kind of hooked future me up yeah. with this job because um 
that's kind of it's just emerged that now I'm doing what I'm doing because this is my calling mm. um, and I feel like that's contributed so much to my to my well-being mm. is aligning my my life with a purpose yeah and we were speaking about identity and belonging mm. I I no longer sort of see myself as like this individual that whose purpose is to like live as comfortably as I can and um, basically have like the flashiest stuff <laughs> in my house to like signal to other people that I'm successful mm. is now it's my identity is that I'm a guardian and a gardener yeah. of this planet. And so that's really totally changed the way that I see myself and I see the world. Yeah. And I think you, you've kind of moved from a, what I'm going to call it, a superficial dynamic to, to really something that's of, of one's own essence. And the, and the thing about that, that superficial, that external materiality is it's, um, it's not really fulfilling long term. Yes, you can buy a new sports car or whatever, but um, two months later you want the next one up mm. because that, that buzz is gone. Whereas what you're doing at the moment, it's, it, it gives you life each and every day and, mm. and I think you know people can kind of get caught up in what's going on in the, in the larger dynamic and you know, feeling disempowered or they can um, uh, get caught up with uh, things that um, aren't quite going right because they're not they're not necessarily listening to the true calling they're not mm. listening to their life's purpose they're not connecting with themselves and those mm. around them um, and where we we live in the world that we live in as a result mm. yes um, i mean it's it's very easy to to look at the states at the moment and kind of point the finger and stuff but quite rightly you said you know we, we've got those same issues back here and us being in new zealand right now have an opportunity to do something mm. uh, and together on mass we mm. can make a real impact totally. um, and if we tune into that purpose then quite often the outcome isn't as um, isn't as destructive yeah. socially or ecologically if people are aligned with themselves mm. it's, it's, it's a lot less likely that they'll go out and commit a hate crime yeah. <laughs> or some kind of ecocidal behaviour mm. um, and, and that when people are kind of looking for their purpose I do get people ask me like how, how did that become so clear yeah and um, one framework a tool that I refer people to is the ikigai oh yes yeah, yeah. And which is a Japanese word for what you're good at um, what the world needs yes what you can be paid for yes and what you enjoy yeah. and it's the it's the intersectionality of of, if you imagine that as a Venn diagram, it's the, the middle. Yeah. This is the icky guy. Yeah. And that really, you know, I don't love working in waste minimization. It's not like my thing. Mm. Um, I, I also, sometimes people ask me, like, what would I be doing if climate change wasn't, the, or the climate wasn't changing? Yeah. Or, you know, our oceans weren't acidifying or sea levels weren't rising or whatever. And, I, yeah, I think I'd probably be kind of like voyaging or exploring or like sailing to some new 
land or something mm. but really um it's that kind of ikigai it's the balance of all of those things that the world needs that we need to pay the bills because let's get real like we're all we're all in a bit of a tight spot mm. um and it's just kind of not taking too much um liberty in all of our kind of um craziest desires um you know it's not it's not absolutely necessary that we all have helicopters and we're all kind of drinking like radically priced champagne on like on the moon or whatever you know yeah. it's kind of a humble life is actually very fulfilling yes yeah and i mean it's interesting those extreme things that you mentioned is mm. because people it's like an addiction and they're mm. just looking for the next time the next time yeah. the next time and yes look I'm, it'll, it will bring some enjoyment briefly but mm. it's not going to have that lasting value um, right. and it's in essence having that disharmony with the self or yeah brings a disharmony in nature mm. and so and then it expands and and then you get this a wasteful action for, yeah. for whatever better term so um i guess what you're doing is yes you are i mean you're looking to eliminate the wasteful action in the world and through that bring it bring more of a harmony um mm. within people and within nature which i think is beautiful so mm. i commend you in that um it's probably i guess i've i've had this union inside me to kind of be trying to do more and, and kind of get into the coaching space is something that I feel that I can take the skills that I've learned in the, in the corporate world and, and apply them in a real need uh, that, that exists at this time and, and hopefully make a, a little bit of money out of it as well. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes and, and I'll probably come to you for a bit of advice along the way. But listen, you know, thank you very much um, for your time today. Um, it's it's always great to to hear what you have to say and and i do appreciate um you taking the time to um share with myself and those out there who are listening so cheers brother cheers brother